The Dave Berta Podcast is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. Find out more about the network and other amazing Alberta-made podcasts at albertapodcastnetwork.com. I'm Dave Cornwallier. And I'm Ryan Hastman. And you're listening to the Dave Berta Podcast. We're recording this episode on Sunday, March 10th, 2019, and we're also joined by our producer, Adam Rosenhart. Hello, guys. Hey, Adam. What's up? This episode, we'll be talking about when is the election going to be called? (laughs) This might be the last (laughs) podcast before the writ is dropped. So we're going to give our final predictions for when the provincial election might be called um, potentially after next week's throne speech. This could be the last podcast under this oppressive cloud of orange haze that this <laughs> province has existed under for four years we, you, you can see the the oppressive uh, dark blue haze on the horizon yeah storms ahead folks yeah uh sauron is definitely becoming more active in mordor <laughs> i can see the eye <laughs> which we're, eye <laughs> along those lines we're going to talk about pre-election season and its continuation we'll look at what the campaign promises uh, have been that parties are making from Rachel Notley's latest petrochemical announcement to UCP tax cuts to Alberta Party mandatory vaccination and the Green Party's PST endorsement. We're going to also talk about why the heck are UCP staffers video recording the comings and goings of independent MLA Prob Gill? And what's the deal with Brian Jean's political hand grenades? Is revenge, in fact, a dish best served bitterly and angrily? And what the heck is happening in Ottawa? With this whole SNC Lavalin scandal, will it impact Alberta in the next federal election? And if so, how? And we'll dig into the mailbag to answer the questions our listeners sent in over the past few weeks. But first, let's dig into some nomination news. So uh, this past week was uh, this past week marked International Women's Day. So I thought it was important, and I wrote a post on the blog uh, this week uh, talking about the total number of women that each party has nominated. And this is the numbers I'm going to share now are as of March 8th. So I think there may have been a couple candidates nominated since then, but this is kind of the the general percentage. Um, looking at uh, you know how many women each political party has nominated to run in the next election. So so far we have the NDP with 42 out of the 79 candidates nominated. That's 53% uh, are women. The Green Party coming out second, in percentage-wise, uh, with 8 out of 17 candidates are women. That's 47%. Uh, followed by the Liberals with 10 women out of 26 candidates. The UCP with 27 out of 83 candidates nominated. That's 32%. And the Alberta Party with 22 out of 71 candidates nominated so far. That's so kind 30%. of surprising. That's that not, it's, that that's, it's low? That's not very woke of the Alberta party. <laughs> <laughs> but well, hang on. I, I, actually, uh, every political party, I mean, in, you, you consider the UCP as, as comparing to the, the previous election for the PCs and the Wild Rose. Every political party, I believe right now, is doing better than they did as in terms of they've nominated more women candidates than they did in the 20, uh, 2015 election. So that's, that's you know, there's still a long way to go for some parties, but, but uh, that's notable. That's something that should be, you know, good job. I, I guess so. Good job. Yeah, I mean, you know, good job doing better than you did last time. That's all we can ask for, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, how, how close are the other parties? Because we know the UCP was leading in the number of, of nominations they'd completed for their constituencies. Where are they at, and, and where's everyone else relative to them? Well, the UCP right now has 83 candidates nominated out of 87 ridings. Uh, the NDP are very close second. They have 79 candidates nominated, so they've been nominating a ton. Uh, and the Alberta party, I think, has 71 or 72 candidates nominated as of today. And then the other parties are kind of in the distance. 
Um, so the, the main three parties who we expect to have full slates, because uh, I expect the NDP, the UCP, and the Alberta party to have each nominate 87 candidates, very likely or very close to that. Um, they'll, like, they'll have those candidates nominated within the next like week or two, I think. But the, the NDP and the UCP um, will have them nominated very quickly. I know the, the UCP has set some nomination meetings for like the end of March, but I expect if the writ gets dropped earlier uh, than that, they'll probably just appoint a candidate. Did we talk last week? Or hold week? the nomination meeting early. Yeah. Did we talk last week about Rachel Notley's own nomination meeting being announced? I forget if that had been... Yeah, I don't remember. Because it's now announced. So, okay. did you say March 18th? March, March 17th, the day she, before the the speech from the throne. So, right. sorry, Rachel yep. Notley is doing a, a campaign launch on St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. Luck of the Irish. Somebody pinch her. <laughs> Actually, I wouldn't pinch there, her. There will be green and orange beer served. <laughs> yeah, there will be. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and you know, if there's one person in the province who knows when the election's happening, it's her. So. Yeah, yeah, and I, I suspect that the NDP will have all their candidates nominated by that point, and this will be like the campaign official campaign kickoff. So I was going to ask, be, she'll be the last candidate nominated. Something that I was curious about is is what do you think? What do you guys think the impact is of a lot of these uh, former uh, or or current NDP MLAs announcing that they won't run again? What does that mean? What well, what should we be reading into that? I could tell you, Dave. Do you want to give the reasonable answer? Or <laughs> do you want the well, I mean, there, there's a, the okay. The, first of all, there's always there's always a certain amount of churn and turnover in terms of candidates not running for re-election or MLA is not running for re-election. I don't have the t- the current numbers in front of me, but the last last time I checked, the total like the total number of candidates not see or called, pardon me the total number of MLAs not seeking re-election in 2019 is like fairly close to the average over the past three elections. So this isn't unusual, even. F- for government it's not unusual like i think in the last election there were like 20 pcmlas who didn't run for re-election and it's i think it's around i think the the ndp there's like 15 or so who aren't running for re-election so it's not like totally unusual that said you know they read the polls they can feel what's going on on the ground some of them probably you know <laughs> can can see that they probably probably have a really hard really hard time getting reelected or won't have a chance to get reelected in some cases especially some of the rural ridings yeah um but uh yeah so i mean there's always a bit of churn but you know politics plays into it uh you know and the because of the 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 massive turnover in the last provincial election uh with the exception of four or i guess five ndp mlas if you count sander jansen um, all of them are first-term MLAs. So, you know, some of them got elected in 2015 not expecting to have a, you know, have a job as an MLA for four years, and maybe they want to go away and do something different with their lives. I think, too, though, th- to be fair, the time to do that without sending a signal would have been over, like, a couple months ago. Like, f- in my experience, party leaders going into an election or government leaders will say to their caucus, okay, like, you have a month or whatever. Figure it out. We want you to feel free to go or stay but we want a succession plan for cabinet and also for your riding. I don't think it sends anything but a bad signal when they're doing it like two weeks out it, or, you know, if something exceptional happens in their life. But Well, I don't, I don't think there were too many ML, too many NDP MLAs who were doing it two weeks out. No, I was thinking Karen McPherson, but I guess she's oh, part yeah, of the party. Oh, yeah, so. yeah, Karen McPherson's announced Yeah, she's not running for re-election the, in uh, Calgary. She had been nominated as the Alberta Party candidate in Calgary-Bennington. And yeah. Bennington has had a bit of change. So. Yeah, and we'll, well, well, let's talk about Bennington right now. It's on my list. <laughs> so Rand, Randy Kerr, who was the who won the UCP nomination last August, August 2018, has been removed as the candidate, UCP candidate, in the new Calgary-Bennington riding. And, and Calgary-Bennington, uh, it's a new riding, uh, but it takes up most of the area included in, or much of the area included in the current Calgary-McKay-Nose Hill riding. Nose Hill, yeah. Yeah, so it's like north. It kind of surrounds 
the park. Yeah, I think Nose Hill Park is actually inside yeah. the riding, and then it's like the area just south and I think east of that. Uh, so it's like North Calgary, um, for those of you familiar, familiar with Calgary. Uh, yeah, I mean, fa- you know, traditionally a fairly conser- fairly conservative riding. Um, as we mentioned, uh, Karen McPherson, who was elected in 2015 as a new Democrat who crossed the floor to the Alberta party, she was going to run for re-election, but announced this week that she wasn't going to run for re-election. And I think that happened on the exact same day that Randy Kerr was removed as the candidate. And And this is an interesting story because it's part of a bigger political story that's kind of, I mean, for the most part, it's kind of insider politics, but it's starting because it's becoming there's more elements to it i think it's starting to get more attention than just an insider story as it might have been before so randy kerr was removed we're told uh through a a statement released by ucp executive director janice harrington that mr kerr was not forthright in responding to the party's inquiries regarding his financial contribution to the jeff calloway leadership campaign right now for those of you who remember the ucp leadership campaign in 2017 jeff calloway who's a, I think he was a former president of the Wild Rose Party, and he's been around, he was in Wild Rose circles in Calgary. Uh, he ran as a candidate briefly uh, for the UCP leadership, and at the time was kind of widely seen among among political types as kind of a, a, a stand-in uh, supporting Jason, a candidate who was really supporting Jason Kenney, but there to to attack Brian Jean, who was the, the leader of the Wild Rose Party, who had stepped down as leader of the Wild Rose Party to run for the UCP leadership. That got more interesting when allegations of a kamikaze mission uh, were released. There was a there was a secret recording that was released from the uh, the after the Highwood nomination race, oh, in the UCP like nomination a, race, talking with yeah. with with a former director of Wendy, the Wilders, Wendy Adam, Adams, yeah. talking about allegedly talking about a kamikaze mission, and then the elections commissioner began to investigate. Um, there have been fines that have been issued, uh, two fines of a total of $15,000 against uh, Cameron Davies, who was Jeff Calloway's campaign manager, former campaign chair of the Wild Rose Party in the 2015 election. I think he might even have been Brian Jean's campaign manager in the Wild Rose leadership when Jean initially ran. He was with him at first. Yeah. And then there was not an- with him at the end. Yeah, and then there was another fine uh, leveled against a- another donor to Mr. Calloway's campaign. Happy man. No, um, Karen Brown. Oh, right. And yep. and I think the allegation was that it was a $3,500 fine cause, because there was an issue around or question about where the money, that money actually came from. Right. So the allegations that have been raised, and we've heard this from Prob Gill, who's, we're going to talk about Prob Gill on this podcast in another context. We'll call him Mr. Credibility. <laughs> yes, yeah. Prob Gill, former elected as a progressive conservative MLA to replace Manmeet Bular in Calgary Greenway in 2015 or 2016. Uh, I can't remember when that by-election was held uh, and was later removed or left the UCP caucus after allegations of ballot removed. stuffing. Yeah, yeah. There was there was an investigation uh, about some shady stuff in a UCP AGM in well, Northeast Calgary. So And so he sent letters to the elections commissioner alleging that that there, you know, that there's shady stuff around Callaway's campaign, that there's been shady stuff around Kenny, uh, Kenny's campaign for the UCP leadership. And that all kind of plays into this, you know, that's all part of this evolving story with Randy Kerr being disqualified because Randy Kerr had donated $4,000 to Jeff Calloway's campaign. Now, I mean, my, the big question is, and the unanswered question is, is that Janice Harrington said that Mr. Kerr was not forthright in responding to the party's increase. We're not totally sure what exactly that means, what he wasn't forthright about. Yeah. What, what, why did the, what did the party 
not get the answers to that right. led to him being disqualified as a candidate. It's actually an important distinction. She that particular ruling to replace Randy Kerr, she actually said, and I don't have it in front of me, that this is not because of elections, Alberta rule violations, yeah. or because of the inquire into improper donations. Yeah. You know, that we talked about this last time. Private political parties are somewhat private organizations mm-hmm. and I I haven't seen the current candidate application. But all you need to know is that it's very detailed. It's very long, and the parties say right at the front, if you don't tell us the truth... This is the application for the UCP internal application yeah. if you want to be a political any, candidate. Okay. My understanding would be yeah. any of the parties. But, okay. you know, I'm but it's familiar. not an elections Alberta form you're Right, about. it's okay. the party applications. Sure. And it says, you know, we are allowed and we maintain the right to remove you as a candidate for basically anything in this document. And so they even probably go a little bit further than most people would even realize. But it's also a way to make sure if there's a problem in the future that they weren't lying at the time and we can pull the, you know, pull it. So they didn't release the specifics. However, I haven't seen Randy Kerr push back on anything mm-hmm. either. So um, I suspect, you know, I suspect that part of the story in isolation is over. But you're right. It is part of the larger campaign. And I'm sure we'll get to that. Well, yeah. And this, this the Jeff Calloway stuff keeps on coming up, you know, and popping, yeah. popping up in different areas. And, and, and we know that the elections commissioner is investigating uh, so, you know, we'll see well, wh- whether something come, whether the, he comes out with something, uh, before the election or, you know, how this evolves and, and what ends, what, what ends up happening is, is, uh, is, is still yet to be seen. Now, the, from what I understand the the, you know, the big issue that the elections commissioner is for, or the reason why the elections commissioner is involved has to do with, because leadership campaign and nominations and, and, and donations to leadership campaigns are now under the purview of the Elections Financial Finance Disclosure and Contributions Act. So that w- he's looking into potential violations or alleged violations right. of that act. So right. before, uh, basically before like 2016, the things that happened in the UCP, nominee, UCP leadership race wouldn't have been covered under elections laws in Alberta. So right. this would have just been something that had happened and there'd be sour grapes and people would be angry, yeah. but no one would be, no one would have been fined. Uh, at least by by in the official elections Alberta um, uh, elections Alberta laws, yeah. uh, but because it's brought under like the like the elections laws now that that that's why this is so it's something new. So like if stuff like this would have happened in previous leadership races before 2016, this wouldn't have been right. Really, we wouldn't have been talking about it. This whole last couple of weeks have made me want to bonk some heads together, um, UCP heads together, <laughs> and you know it's funny because it goes in both directions. Like I remember at the time. Jeff Calloway's campaign was so transparently just run on having a bone to pick with Brian Jean. Yeah. Like at the, right at the end of Wild Rose before the merger, Jeff Calloway was the party president. And without, I mean, it's not a secret to say that there was huge tension between the leader and the party president, you know, apparently at board meetings and <laughs> in public, it was boiling over. So it was very, very personal. And I remember being really annoyed at Calloway because it was so clear he had no intention of winning. He was just so against Brian Jean. He was there. He was like having a, instead of a hype man, it was like the opposite of a hype man. It was like a Brian Jean, like criti- critic man. Like he wasn't even there to win. And so it was a very um, bad faith campaign. Now, I do not think the Kenny people had anything to do with it. And the main reason is they didn't need to. So I know Wendy Adam or whoever that person was on audio is talking big, but none of the people who were actually in a position to make those types of strategic calls, I don't believe would have been that concerned about Brian Jean or, or about Jeff Calloway. Like the Kenny machine was rolling by the time they did the unity vote or the leadership vote. They had had the PC vote. They had had the unity vote. They didn't think they needed the help. 
and they certainly didn't need the help enough to risk actually saying things that would, you know, actual collusion. So I know the audio is out and I don't dispute that. But in politics, there's, what do they say, like, victory has many authors and defeat only has one. So a lot of people are claiming to be, have been in the inner circle or part of the strategy. The other rule of politics is those who know don't talk and those who talk don't know. So whenever you hear cabinet speculation or leadership strategy speculation, it's probably coming from the types of people who aren't in a position to know it. So that's that. Now on the other side, we're going to get to it. Uh, I would also like to bonk Brian Jean's head together. Maybe him and Jeff <laughs> Calloway. Like, <laughs> so are we doing that now? Did we get well, to that part yet? You, what, what's, let's talk about yeah, it. Yeah, let's just talk. We can, cut to, we, so, can, we can circle back to nomination stuff in a minute. I, I'm pretty upset with Brian. Um, I know him well. I've been to his house. We've had dinner. Leanne used to work for him. Two weeks before the writ is not the time to do this. So he's putting out some editorials or columns, and he's, he's basically stirring up trouble, throwing hand grenades. And it's so, just like Callaway, it's so clearly personal and vindictive. And the thing that frustrates me about... So do you think it's a play for its pettiness or revenge or something like yeah, that? Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so Brian is convinced... Uh, I'm pretty sure he, Brian is convinced that Brian that Jason Kenny wronged him. He believes that, Prob Gill. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. Nobody <laughs> believes no, no, Prob no. Gill. I mean, <laughs> Brian. I mean, it's important to context. Brian Jean is the former future premier of Alberta. Mm-hmm. At this point, he was he look, was the, the Wild Rose was was we was doing well in the polls. Brian yeah. Jean's his when when he was leader of the Wild Rose Party, his approval rating was quite good. Exactly. His approval rating is better was better than Jason Kenny's is right now. That's exactly right, and they were driving in their lane. And they had been through the 2015 campaign, which Brian had had a lot of personal circumstances, which made it tough. And yeah, they were on a path to win. So from their pers- from Brian Jean's perspective, Jason Kenny came along like a comet that sunk the dinosaurs and just like wiped them out. But the time to fight this out and the time to have these conversations was the leadership campaign. At this point now, Brian, you are hurting Layla Goodridge. You're hurting Tani Yao. You're hurting 86 other candidates other than Brian Jean. Sorry, out of other than Jason Kenny, just out of pure vindictive, and he knows what he's doing. The de- if you want to be a media star in this country, go as a conservative, go against your party, start doing media, and especially former leader. Like the story writes itself. Yeah. And all of a sudden, people who gave Brian Jean zero credibility for his entire career are talking about how he's this like soothsayer, you know, wizard from the sky, and it's like it's so transparently well, disruptive here's how i know he's not a wizard from the sky if I, <laughs> if I didn't before it's because in this op-ed he wrote for the journal he said alberta doesn't have a revenue problem and he's wrong he's yeah. objectively wrong but that's a policy debate and you know what if, sure. he, if he wanted to stay in the political process he could have had almost any role in the in the caucus except for leader they would have allowed him to play a huge role. He could have been a minister in the future he, government. He did get kicked. I mean, he did get kicked to the curb, though, in terms yeah. of his political career. Like, yeah, I mean, you know. And hey, like, you know what? You know why? Part partly, I am so upset about this is that I have walked this talk. My nomination defeat was pretty bad. There are things that I'm not going to say on the podcast that happened that I feel to this day very upset about. D- did Brian Jean torpedo your <laughs> campaign too? No, but it's not about me. So after the after the federal nomination that I lost, I just stepped away because it wasn't about me. It's about the volunteers, the sign guys who show up, the little old ladies who bake squares and work the phones. Like it's there's a whole machine of volunteers and people who have bled, not just the 86 candidates, but every one of those ridings has people and donors and believers. And I know some of our audience think the UCP is like some sort of 
dragon of Komodo pit where everyone is just slithering tongues. But it, it certainly appears like that's how it's <laughs> But it's not. Like if you go to any any level of politics in any of the parties, it's people giving their lives. And so when people come in two weeks before the writ drops and do a showboating media tour, which is just basically designed to stir trouble. So what, what they're doing here, and I'm not saying it's ineffective, it is effective, is it's the death by a thousand cut strategy. They're hoping, and it's funny watching Notley and Brian Jean play off each other because they're both doing it from the opposite ends. They're, they probably know they can't stop Jason Kenney, but they can bleed him, they can wound him, they can start to make it hurt. So he's going to come into being the new premier with quite a bit of a different feeling than mm-hmm. a year ago, right? He's not going to be the fresh, visionary new guy. He's going to be this guy with a trail of stories. No one really knows the specifics of the Prob Gill thing. And if they do, they don't think Prob Gill is overly credible. But it's just starting to be this like meta story that is just catching up. So, Mr. Gene, you are better than this. You know, you may not have been the most effective politician, but you are a man of principle and character. And I think you need to stop. And it's very upsetting because I'm going to go out door knocking with volunteers who are choosing to spend their days doing this. And you're ruining it for them. So I'm a little warped today. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's quite strange. We're not used to seeing this type of behavior from a from a uh, I mean, from a former leadership candidate of a major conservative party i think this soon before an election um i mean obviously he's you know he knows an like ryan g knows an election's coming um and he's trying it appears that he's trying to you know inflict as much damage as he can on jason kenny before the election yeah, the i think it should, what's the end game I, so I, I think i think i mean maybe revenge i'm dam- damaging jason kenny obviously undermining yeah. him um, and then what but, like does he think he'll be the one to well swoop and, that, in? and that's the question do you think brian gene do you think he would plan a comeback or do you think this is it Adam's trying to talk. I was just going to ask. Well, that's a that's a great question, Dave. But or and I know this sounds absurd, but we would get asked this question from the audience anyway. Is he is he trying to do something sneaky on behalf of the Freedom Conservative Party? Well, but if there's two people who despise each other more, it's it's Derek D- and Derek Brian. and Brian, Jerry Frail, yeah. Brian and Brian Jean. Okay. So I feel of kind of like a heel for saying this, but I've now described Brian's relationship with four or five other conservative leading players and they're all the same mm. how what was his relationship with Callaway what's his relationship with Kenny what's his relationship with Derek so I mean there's a story behind every episode or so every incident but there's a picture emerging because you're right and uh, you know even all of his stuff about um, his op-eds about the Federation and transfer payments and all that stuff that's the Freedom Conservative Party crowd message mm-hmm. but him and Derek are like oil and water as well so you know Brian um, has a lot of strengths but he had his chance, and he even could have had a, a play this time. So I think there's not a lot of thought about the end game. I think it's just rage. That's that's politics. Yeah, and it is. And I'm not going to say Kenny doesn't play hardball politics. Obviously, Jason Kenny does. But what upsets me about it is two weeks before the writ, and I, you know, this is me as a party activist, as a tribal warrior. Two weeks before the writ, you just shut your mouth. Like there is so much at stake. This is when bozo eruptions get magnified. This is when one candidate off message can throw everybody else out. You watch the NDP. They're not saying much these days. They're really battening down the hatches yeah. because they've probably been told, look, we're too close to the election to recover from a, from a bozo eruption. So just keep your mouth shut and go to the doors. I was joking, and this is just a joke, but if the UCP just shut everything down, didn't do another statement, didn't show up for anything from now on, they would probably be in a good shape. So... Everything they do right now is a little bit risky. Like when you're the front runner, yeah. you have nowhere to go but down. 
And the other side of this is Rachel Notley is happy to continue doing these little paper cuts at Jason Kenny as well. Well, as we've, as we've talked about on the pod before, uh, I mean, I think everybody is, everybody has identified the UCP's biggest weakness potentially as being Jason Kenny himself. Um, you know, the UCP polls very high in terms of, of support across the province. Jason Kenny, not as much. He doesn't, you know, in terms of, of his own his own approval rating, his own popularity rating. He's his his own party dwarfs him. Uh, so that I mean that is that is that can become can become a liability, um, and as we know, I mean Kenny has had very you know controversial views on social issues, stuff that he doesn't want to talk about right now, but he's been more than happy to talk about and 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 base his pol- his political career on in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know we're seeing a lot of, we see a lot of that come back up, yeah. um, which which is you know which is fair game, um, in fair, well fair game in politics. But you expect that from the opposition. I'm not mad at Rachel Notley for doing what the op- what mm-hmm. the other guys do. Well, this is your, you're mad at someone who's supposed to be on your own team, right? It, of course. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, it, and I I mean, I think it, it you know it potentially goes to show that I mean, even though there is a united cons- united conservative party, quote mm-hmm, unquote, mm-hmm. it's not as united as 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 you know as the party logo would uh, would have us believe. Yeah, there yeah. are you know there are fish deep fishers in the conservative movement in yeah. in Alberta. Well, this uh, would and be well, like you know the party is united enough to probably form government in in a couple months, right? But that's that at that 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 point aside. It's there's yeah. still division, real divisions, uh, ideologically in the conservative yeah, movement, and then personally, like between yeah. Brian Jean and Jason Kenney. And I don't expect that. And you don't usually bring those into a new mandate, right? Usually, it's still roses and. Yeah, I don't know if there. I don't know how many roses they're going to be. I mean, there'll be a honeymoon period. There'll be you know, in the a lot of stuff that if if the UCP forms government, there'll be a lot of stuff that changes, and there'll be new new face, new fresh faces, new cabinet ministers, new policies. But uh, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of baggage that this the UCP, even though it's a new party. Yeah. Uh, the conservative movement in Alberta is old. Like it's and that's it's what, been around for a long time, and and none of the players are really new. And that is what they're hoping to do, I believe, is stop Kenny from being. Like the twenty-year premier, they may not be able to. They, they, there may be some really jaded calculations happening that they can't stop him from winning this one, but they can stop him from the next one. Or they could stop him from going back to Ottawa and becoming prime minister of Canada. Do do do. All right, let's move on. Unless there's, is there more nomination news? I, I, I just have, I have two more nominations that I want to talk about. Uh, the first one because we've talked about it. I'll talk about it very quickly uh, because we've talked about it for the past like four podcasts. Steve Mandel. Oh yeah, he's is, back. He's allowed to run. Oh, he's yeah. in. The Court of Queen's Bench has has, has ruled that uh, that are waived his ban. So Steve Mandel will be on the ballot in Edmonton McClung. Justice has been served. Yeah, yeah. Was it? Yeah, democracy has been served. Or what was his? Uh, it was a fight against. Oh, I don't know. He he beat them. Isn't that what he said? So anyway, he beat Elections Alberta. So did I guess. They, did they change the rule, or did they just say we'll give you a pass? No, they waived it. They just waived. They gave him a pass, and they gave all, all of the all seven Alberta Party candidates who were. Uh, made the banned list for missing deadlines or not filing their paperwork properly have all been had their bans waived and they'll all be on the ballot. Say what you will about the Alberta party and we've said a lot on this show not letting those people run would have been ridiculous yeah, I think. Totally. Well you know I was just rethinking about our conversation last week and you said you were surprised or disappointed that the NDP didn't do anything about it. I don't expect them to do anything about it this time either. When you know that it's a trap out there and you're aware of it and you say to your crew okay guys like there's this deadline don't miss it yeah but we're going to leave that trap out there for our opponents so i don't expect it to really ever change it's it's a known pitfall you're talking about the the like the ban from being like the forums yeah remember we said like they could maybe look at the legislation oh next yeah time. 
and maybe change it to like a fine or something. But if you're the next government, this is why a lot of <laughs> democratic reform stuff never happens because in opposition, it's it's easy to rail against and then you get there and it's a good, useful oh, tool. Man, this actually works for us. Yeah. yeah, so I don't expect whoever governs next term, I don't th- think they'll change it either. Yeah. It'll yeah. be called the Mandel Rule. That's <laughs> <laughs> forever known as the Mandel Rule. That'll be his legacy, maybe. Yeah. Or maybe he'll be premier, who knows. And then we'll, he'll change it. <laughs> we'll see, or keep it. <laughs> so the, the next piece of nomination news that I have is... Joe Anglin. Jumpin' Joe Anglin. Oh, good grief. Former <laughs> leader of the Green roll. Party, former Wild Rose MLA, former Independent MLA, former uh, potential <laughs> progressive conservative nomination candidate oh. who recently mused about running for the Freedom Conservative Party. You're missing a few. Former U.S. Marine. Oh, yeah, that's right. Who served in Vietnam, though not during the Vietnamese War. Okay. If you recall, that's an important distinction. Okay. Does uh, anyone think this is a good idea? It, sorry, I didn't even say what he's doing Oh, yet. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. He's running for the Alberta Party in, oh, in Rimby Rocky Mountain House Sundry, which was the riding that he represented from 2012 uh, to 2015, as uh, first as a Wild Rose Party MLA and then as an independent MLA after he was, I believe, kicked out of the caucus. Or whatever. Or left. Or, or it blew up. Or I mean, something. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, he's running uh, for the Alberta Party, and, and uh, I can assure you that uh, that it will make the r- race in Rimby, Rocky Mountain House, Sundry, even though it might not change oh, yeah. the result, it'll make it highly entertaining. And I'm sure that uh, that Joe Anklin will, uh, will make uh, uh, Jason Nixon, the incumbent yeah. UCP MLA, lose some sleep because... If we, there's anything we've learned about Joe England over the past uh, 10 years is that he is <laughs> relentless. And, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. he's, uh, he's like a dog who's like got his teeth in the tire of the car and he's just like not letting go. Uh, well, so anyway, uh, yeah, good luck with that, Jason he, Nixon. He's a pretty, I, I, don't, I don't know if effective is the right word, but like a, a bold activist. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So he'll make noise and he might, he might actually be able to frame a little bit of the debate. Or the conversation in that riding, but well, in the riding, yeah, I actually think this is a huge impact on UCP because Jason can Jason Nixon would be one of those, one of those like high profile MLAs who are maybe used on secondary tour or in the war room mm-hmm. or setting strategy things like that, used as a spokesperson. Now he has to campaign. Yeah, no, now he'll be home because for all of our jokes about it, you have to take Joe Anglin seriously in the oh, yeah. riding. Yeah, he has support. He does. Now, he- what I don't get is, okay, let's think of some of the Alberta Party activists that come to mind: Catherine O'Neill. Stephen Mandel, Heather Klimchuk, um, who else am I forgetting? You know the, the yeah. Alberta part. Now, part of this is probably an Edmonton thing, but when I you're think talking of, about you're talking about like the f- the the former progressive conservatives, yeah, the Red Tories, the Red, okay, yeah. who don't like Jason Kenney. Yeah, mm-hmm. that is not Joe. Anglin. Oh no, he doesn't really fit in. Fit in. <laughs> he with, couldn't be more he's, different. He's from like those. this. He's like trying to put the square in the circle hole. But it's a, you know, I I have a friend from that part of the province who continues to tell me that there the Alberta party there is different. That the Alberta Party in Edmonton is not the Alberta Party in that part of the province. That's interesting. Because remember, there was a rumor that Brian Jean might run for the Alberta Party, and I just laughed about it. Yeah. Like the guy throwing bombs about equalization and about Quebec, you're telling me he's going to run for Mandel? Like it does not compute in my Edmonton centric brain, but apparently in central Alberta, the Alberta Party is different, or there just isn't much of an Alberta Party there. But I can't, can you imagine that caucus meeting? Like, assuming any of them get elected, but... <laughs> that you mean Joe Anglin and MLA's <laughs> Joe Anglin, Greg Clark, and Stephen Mandel yeah. sitting around a table? And, like, Catherine O'Neill? Like, Anglin, it'd be like that Sesame Street song. Like, one of these things is not <laughs> the same. Like, I don't... It's just, again, pure... Is it ambition even the word? Or just... I don't even know if, if ambition... I don't... No, I don't think ambition is the, is the right word. I think that... Uh... <laughs> I think it's very discrediting and risky for the Alberta party. So the degree that they have some credibility in Calgary, Elbow, and Edmonton, Edmonton, McClung, places like that, 
Joe England's going to do Joe England stuff during this election. And then Mandel's going to have to answer for it. So, but then again, maybe he gets most of his coverage from this podcast anyway, and it won't really matter. <laughs> anyway, here well, we are talking about them again. Well, we'll see. So that's uh, that that fills our Alberta party quota for this podcast. So congratulations, <laughs> you in Alberta party. We'll you, be talking about them again. You have a Joe England. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> we will definitely be talking about the Alberta party now that Joe England's there. Oh, yes. The Dave Berta Podcast is brought to you in part by Overdue Finds, a podcast of the Edmonton Public Library. If you haven't been to EPL in a while, you're definitely missing out. And you know what? The best thing about EPL, you don't even have to go there physically to access their services. It's all available online through their website, epl.ca. But let's talk about Overdue Finds. It's a podcast hosted by Bryce Crichtenden and Caroline Land. They discuss movies, music, books, pretty much any sort of popular culture and media you can think of, and maybe even some you've never thought of. On the show, you'll learn more about what you can find at the library. It comes out every two weeks. And right now, Overdue Finds is actually doing a sort of uh, NCAA basketball-inspired March Madness tournament. So for the entire month of March, you can vote to help determine the best movie based on a book. You can find all of this stuff overdue fines, and information on their March Madness campaign at epl.ca slash podcast. That's epl.ca slash podcast for overdue fines presented by the Edmonton Public Library. The Dave Berta Podcast is brought to you by ATB Financial. If you're thinking of starting to invest, ATB Prosper might just be the place you need to check out. Whether you're saving for retirement, a major purchase, your child's education, or a rainy day, ATB Prosper helps you create a personalized investment plan to assist you in reaching your financial goals. It's easy to create, manage, and follow your progress through your customized digital dashboard. Start investing with as little as $100 and make additional contributions of as little as $25. To find out more, visit atbprosper.com. So the next big question that we're all speculating about and we've been talking about for months and months is when will the writ actually be dropped? There's a throne speech scheduled for March 18th. And I think probably a few weeks, you know, a few episodes ago, we were thinking throne speech, writ drop immediately, if not just the next day. What are you guys hearing out there? What's your latest prediction for when the election is going to be called? Well, I mean, I I still think that, you know, the, the NDP calling the election right after the throne speech is within the realm of the possibility at this moment. But I am hearing that the NDP uh, have been circulating a draft order paper. Uh, apparently, they've circulated it to the other opposition House leaders, and that, that was basically call for a, sort, a short session. And I don't know how short, because it doesn't really... I didn't... I don't know. I don't know if it actually had, like, a timeline in it. But the NDP would basically hold like a two one or two or three week session right after the right after the throne speech and i don't know whether this would include a budget and that's kind of the other big question is what are they actually going to table a budget or something that appears to be a budget before they drop the writ well they have not been doing a lot of policy lately like you know it's the been announcements hasn't it re-announcement on funding sure well, but yeah the ucp's been rolling out policy so i suspect that the government's budget process is also going to become the NDP's campaign platform. Yeah. Is that a good strategy for the for the new Democrats? Would you say like running on a budget? It it's nor I mean it's 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 fairly common. Like it's yeah. most 
I think I, I mentioned this on a previous podcast episode, but I think out of the past 10 elections in Alberta, seven of them have been the government running on the bu- running on a budget. Mm-hmm. So it's it's like fairly common. It would actually be kind of surprising if they didn't. Well, and it, part of the advantage of being in government is you have all these public servants and resources at your disposal yeah. so you can um, do your numbers, make sure that it all lines up, that you have credible uh, stakeholder groups that are saying, yes, we support this or we want this. So I'm sure they've got all that lined yeah, up. Yeah, and, and we have to remember that, that I mean, the, to- the clock is ticking, that the... Uh, Unless the NDP changed the the elections law in in this short spring session, the election has to be held before May thirty first, or should be held before May May thirty first. And and Premier Notley has said that they're going to respect the the election period that we have here in Alberta. So, you know whether it's if they are going to hold a spring session, it is there is a limited amount of time. So it'll be interesting to see whether if they hold a spring session, what kind of legislation are they actually going to introduce? Because that, along with the throne speech and the budget, will will the government will be be hoping that that frames the 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 narrative of the elect, upcoming election. Yeah. So. I can't I can't imagine what policies they would introduce. Would it be modifications of stuff they've done over the last 4 years like Well, my sense at this late in the game is always well if it's this important why didn't you do it before? Yeah. Yeah, well that that's it. And and we talked about it after the last session is what's really left in the NDP's agenda, like legislative agenda because they they passed a bunch of stuff in the fall. Um I mean what what would what would they introduce in in the in the spring session? Getting a pipeline. <laughs> well, yeah, well, and that but that's the other thing is that is is you know would and I mean it's questionable whether it will actually make a difference in terms of the of the results of the, the provincial election at this point. But there is the potential that that uh, that the federal government could the federal cabinet could finish the consult their consultation process and approve the give us you know approval again to the Trans Mountain pipeline yeah. I don't know how much I don't, I don't know how many votes that would actually move well they have what 75 days left now it's been about two weeks yeah so I I don't know if the math actually works out but. for sure that cabinet is watching this I mean I don't think Alberta politics influences them a whole lot but they don't want to be giving Jason Kenney any wins during the writ so they'll wait to do that I think ideally not in the middle of the election campaign mm-hmm but if the if not if Premier Notley keeps waiting, they're gonna have to. I don't know where the two dates would overlap. But yeah, I'm not sure. We'd have to look at the look, take a closer look at the calendar. So we, as a prediction, as a panel, we're still not sure. But sometime beginning March 18th, within the next two weeks after that, we think the writ will drop. Right? I think that's yeah. I think that's fair. You're saying yep. within two weeks? Yeah, probably. So we're looking at April 15 to 22. Do well, you? Do if, you? I think if they drop the writ on the. 18th to the 19th, the election would be on the 15th of April. So it'd be any time after that. Do you think it would? Do you think they would drop the writ on April Fool's Day? It's a Monday. It's no. April. No, no. That would be ridiculous. It right? would be like painting um, your leader's picture over two big wheels of a bus. <laughs> <laughs> it's just too open to jokes. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. The jokes write themselves sometimes. So we've been seeing we've been seeing the parties uh, make. Uh, announcements, um, or you know, trying to trying to set at least set the narrative before the election. At least the UCP has been making. I think they've been making an announcement every single day mm-hmm. uh, over the past couple weeks or the past week or so. Uh, Premier Notley, as we said, we haven't really heard a ton from the NDP in terms of party policies or, or election policies, but Notley is continuing to make uh, go make make announcements around. Uh, around energy projects, uh, this past week she made an announcement in, in I think it might have been in Calgary about a, uh, or no it was it was near Edmonton, uh, about a big new petrochemical project and big government government uh, uh, royalty credit or seventy seventy million dollars in royalty credits going towards the interpipeline, uh, limited 
uh, a new new petro petrochemical project, uh, and we've seen Notley over the past couple of weeks be continuing to kind of make these announcements as as and it's something that we've seen pretty much over the past few years anyway, but really ramping up in terms of the the project announcements over the past couple of weeks. There was the Anthony, sorry, the Ray Gibbon twinning. That's right, in St. Albert. I think that happened since the pod, right? Yep. Yeah, we talked yep. about that last time, I think. Did we? I'm sorry. Yeah, okay. Huge okay. local story. The thing I don't get is it's a 10-year timeline. Re- well, it's... Us a- three guys with shovels and our complete... <laughs> you're, speak- you're speaking for yourself. And our complete <laughs> inability to do any actual construction work could get it done in 10 years. <laughs> 10 years? Like it's, I don't know. It's like three kilometers of road or eight kilometers, sorry. I don't know, man. This is now. This is the road that connects St. Albert to the Anthony Hende, or one of the connections yeah, from St. Albert you, to the Anthony Hende. When you get off the first, this Hende is a very local issue, and, and Ryan Ryan lives in St. Albert, so this is a big issue. I can see this thing from my road, and half of St. Albert takes this, and it's a truck bypass road, so it's supposed to be doubled already. Yeah, because right now, like, it's horrible to have to. St. Albert oh. is this giant suburban city north of Edmonton. And it's basically, there's like three ways to get from yeah. St. Albert to Edmonton, and all of them so are like... It's gridlock up, because it's one lane. So it goes by the New Holos Hole and Joy Center, and then it goes by the um, across the river, and then up to the... What's the road that connects to Costco and Walmart? Shoot. I don't know. Anyway, the top This is of very Sonoma. local. The take take out your Google Maps, yeah. folks. Yeah. yeah. But it's a huge... Lo- but it's just an example of like, everyone in St. Albert knew this was coming. The government wanted to get this announced so that they can do the photo op, and they did. And I don't know how many more of those they have left in the hopper, but it was kind of a weird week because, uh, you know, on the one hand, you had uh, Jason Kenney doing some announcements around the prevention of domestic violence, and then on the other hand, I, I don't, I wasn't really paying close attention to the NDP this past week, but I feel like they're making all these petrochemical announcements, as we said in the introduction. It's like they're. It's opposite day. Well, okay, that's true. But the UCP also has been rolling out a lot of policy. Though. No question, yep. yeah. But it's, it was just like a stark contrast. Yeah. Like the, the NDP, they're supposed to be, you know. It's the sword and shield. Yeah, it's, right? a, it's interesting. Um, yeah, it's weird. When, when are the NDP going to start talking about NDP issues? Like, I mean, well, it's a good question. Yeah, no, that's fair. And I think that the, I mean, you know, you, you not least in the, in, the, in the NDP have been talking, you know, they're making announcements like Ray Given Drive and all, the, all these energy industry announcements. But they've kind of been, I mean, they've been letting the, and I've been surprised, is, is that they're letting the, I mean, they're letting the UCP really set the tone, but also they're, they're, I mean, they're not creating news when the UCP is messing up as well. So they're letting stuff like the, like the Prob Gill, creepy Prob Gill video, which, did we touch on that already? Or we're, we're going to talk about We're going to talk, talk about, about Okay, that. we're going we're gonna to talk about that in a, well, I, I won't, I won't jump too far ahead then. Um, but they, but it'll be interesting to see when exactly they start to actually lay out some NDP policy that will actually engage their own voters in a meaningful way. I think it'll be really interesting, along what you just said, to watch the leaders. Starting now, basically we're in the campaign yeah. right now. When leaders go to places and talk about certain issues, it says a lot about behind the scenes. So if you're Rachel Notley, um, for the next little while, if I was her, I would almost never be in Edmonton. Mm-hmm. Like if, you're, if she's in Edmonton, she's worried about Edmonton. It'd be the equivalent of Jason Kenney going and campaigning like in old. You know, it's like, okay... Yeah, dude, you got the seat. Like, go. Because when leaders, sure, I mean, it maybe it doesn't matter where the announcement's made, but when leaders go to town, they meet with yep. volunteers, they go door knocking. It's a it's a really big boost for the local campaign. Yep. So what, we're going to pay attention to this as the pod goes on, but watch where the leaders are and what they're talking about because now it's offense, defense. Like, mm-hmm. if Rachel Notley doesn't assume Edmonton is in the bag, she's got problems. Just mm-hmm. like if Kenny doesn't assume Calgary's in the bag, he's got problems. So I bet you they're both thinking offense. At this point, their advisors are telling them, go to the other sort of, go to the next 
frontier, mm -hmm. look to pick up seats instead of just sort of banking on what you have. But it'll be interesting. If they spend more time in Edmonton or if they spend more time in Calgary, it'll tell me a lot. And yeah. from now on, we're basically in the campaign period. So yeah. And then same with issues. You know, I talked about swords and shields. So you're right, Adam. It is interesting when the UCP talks about the softer issues and when the NDP is talking about jobs, economy. So I, I saw a little bit of an internal poll, and I, I don't even have a copy, but like the top three or four issues with this poll for Albertans, mm -hmm. and I think it included undecideds. I forget if it was undecided or just decided. But, you know, economy, jobs, pipelines, energy was very yeah. top. And then you have the usuals, education and healthcare. So that's why the NDP are talking about jobs yeah. and the economy. Like, it's not because they love oil all of a sudden. It's because it's an important issue. Mm -hmm. So, and, you know, it's interesting, too, watching the political side. Like, Adam, you mentioned this this policy announcement they did on women's um, sexual assault and training and enforcing or so funding women's shelters, enforcing up dated training on RCMP and first responders, making sure that these, and I don't know if there's a better term, but these rape kits are stored locally instead mm -hmm. of just in the big centers. Like, this is really good policy, partisanship aside. And none of it got covered. What got covered was Kenny going off message for like <laughs> six seconds. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, that six seconds, and they'll t I've taken media training. Yeah, yeah. And they will tell you, if you have two minutes of good and six seconds of bad, that's what they're going to well, cover. Well, it was more, it wasn't six seconds of bad. It was about... Well, it was about six seconds of bad followed by about 20 seconds of worse. So, and, it, and what we're, yeah. we're talking about is, is Kenny... Julie Moore actually sent a question. Yeah, yeah. We'll, so, we'll, we'll, we'll talk well, about well, the... We can talk about it right now. Yeah, okay. Let's talk, yeah, let's mean, talk about it now. Let's, let's roll the clip first and, and let's hear what he said. That women's... Very typically, women candidates for nominations are running for the first time and often running against guys who have been in politics for years or decades and have a network and understand tactical politics a little bit better. Than, than women who are have been doing usually more useful things like professions and and running businesses and and uh, and helping with with families and and so there's a there's a there's a skill there's often a a advantage that some of the the male candidates have so that last bit yeah. you know I, it's hard to defend any of this but half of that <laughs> you don't had, have to defend this right? I can see where he was going with half of it it is true women's participation rate has been lower historically this is why all yeah. of us agree that it's good to have more women candidates. But then sometimes you just let your brain get on the rails and go in a direction. And that last thing he said about the tactical advantage. Oh, my if, God. If you asked Jason Kenney to repeat that, he would never. Like, that was just a foot in the mouth moment. Do you think he knew <laughs> the moment he said it? I mean, because we were talking, well, yeah, yeah, while we were rolling that so. clip, you're, you were talking about some of the people in the background looking maybe just a little bit uncomfortable. He's, I, I think this is, I mean, this is a, you know, this is a really good example of, of Kenny going off. I mean, off script is that he's usually quite well scripted. He's yeah. on message. Um, you know, he's a he's a professional politician. He usually doesn't make these types of mistakes. That's what I was going to say too. Uh, but he knew. He, you could tell, like he really <laughs> fumbled it. He really stepped in it, and then he kind of continued stepping in it. And I can, I mean, I I see the where he was trying to go. He was talking. You know, he's making a, make alluding to whether you know whether parties should have parties should have quotas or open nominations. And he was trying to, you know, I I think that I mean I. Yeah, I think he I think he really really fumbled it and it looks really bad. And and the fact that he said it like the day like was the day of or the day before International Women's Day. Well, it was at this really yeah. important announcement. Yeah. So, so I I think that he should have just like stopped talking. Like really <laughs> just so just like just 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 like yeah. stop talking like, you know. Yeah. I mean, so you know, he yeah, Hopefully he, 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 he went very much went very much off message and I don't I don't think it looked and that's the great coverage at all. So, yeah. so Julie Rohr, a friend of mine, wrote us and said, Dave, can you guys please discuss this? 
uh, you know who's take I'm waiting for on this. And so the clip, and I think she's talking about me. But what's fascinating is, and I'm not picking on Julie, but I wonder how many people know what he actually announced. Like, this is politics. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying the reality is no one actually knows that he announced all this good stuff. The coverage is meta. The coverage is about that moment. And we do this to them, too. Like This is not only one direction. But you can spend a whole announcement talking about women's assault, funding women's shelters, funding, um, f- enforcing better training among first responders and RCMP and all that stuff. But you step on your message and it's over. I, I, I just, I just, I don't, you know, maybe, maybe Jason Kenney isn't the best person to talk about women's issues or why women are, are or not, are not involved in politics. I think that probably should be his rule now. Well, and when the boss does it, um, sometimes, you know, it will be interesting learning more for everybody. If the local <laughs> candidate does it, the stakes are a little lower, but <laughs> Hopefully this was the one, and um, it's out of our system. And you know, moving forward, there won't be any more gaffes. But I bet well, there I, will. I, I, I think I don't think we're uh, I don't think we're at that point yet. But you watch the you watch the machine kick in. So handmaids for Kenny, who I think we know who it is, and um, is an anonymous account, but clearly someone who's pretty close to the ledge. Puts out a meme right away. Puts out the video right away. Everyone reinforces it. Everyone retweets it because there's a whole. Um, ecosystem of people who want to take down Jason Kenney. Like, this is politics, but it's amazing how that kicked in instantly because it's reinforcing what they're trying to say. Do, mm. do, but do you know what I think? Do you know what, the thing that bothered me the most about this, I mean, his comment bothered me um, because it was a stupid comment, but then he blamed the NDP and blamed Twitter for misinterpreting his comments. We didn't even like, talk about the other thing yet. Like, we? no, we, we haven't. And we, we'll talk about that. We should talk about that right away. But so like, instead yeah. of saying, I, you know, I apologize. I, I misspoke. I said something stupid. Women are great. We need more women involved in politics. Yeah. Um, and you like throw yourself at the mercy of the, you know, 53% of voters or 54% of voters who are women in this province. Yeah. Uh, he kind of tried to basically blame the NDP for it. Just like, t- you know, Take responsibility for when you say something stupid. Yeah, apologize. And if he had if he had said, guys, I or not guys, <laughs> <laughs> everyone, I misspoke. I said something stupid, and what I actually meant was this. That would have been that would have been great. That would have been a lift for the UCP, probably. And given all the candidates something to retweet and be happy. About yeah, again. yeah. But instead, but, like Dave said, he lashed out. But it's a lot easier to say sitting around this day. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. In the moment, you're just no pissed. What else happened this week with UCP well, well, chicanery? Yeah, so Prob Gill. <laughs> no. Again, back to Prob Gill. The independent MLA for Calgary Greenway. So <laughs> I'm the, laughing cuz this is just like This is like the, this is so so creepy and ridiculous. How many people so, in our audience have not seen this? Today? Okay, so we're talking about the video, the right. the infamous Prob Gill Jeremy Nolis video. Which so, was which was rendered in black and yeah. white and yeah. slowed dra- down so, for dramatic effect. Okay, so so con- context here. So Prob Gill, as we said, no longer was a UCP MLA, no longer a UCP MLA, sitting as an independent has been at the forefront disqualified at, at, for cheating. Yes. Let's yeah. put totally. I mean, yeah, he, th- there was allegations of not, ballot stuffing in a Not a, just a allegations. It was based it was investigated cuz do you well, think I haven't he, actually read the report, so do I don't you know think, what. Do you think UCP wanted to get rid of Prob Gill? Of course not. So, First of all, he's a sitting MLA. He was a, you know, a PC. He was seen as being kind of from a, a former federal liberal. Or? Yeah. It's not like we not we. I have no role with the party. It's not like they didn't want him part of it. He cheated wildly in his nomination there was okay. a video okay okay so so okay we've, we've laid the context of that so uh the federal building which is the the big art deco fortress uh on the north end of the legislature grounds which is where 
Uh, and most MLAs have their offices and most of the caucuses have their offices. Yep. Prob Gill's office is located across the lobby from the UC, one of the UCP caucus offices. Yeah, so there's like a shared common space. Yeah, so shared elevators. Derek's the same thing. Yeah. yeah, okay, so yeah, Derek Fildebrand is the same thing. So from what it appears is that UCP staffers, I'm assuming, were sitting or, or noticed in their lobby that <laughs> sneaking. Sneaking. they were sneaking and they must have taken a video on their iPhone or something of... Jeremy Nolas, who is the director of, of issues management for the premier's office, leaving Prob Gill's office and then... Like a walk of shame. Yeah, to the elevator. Uh, and it was very clear that like he knew that there were some staff, some like staffer in short pants sitting there with his iPhone <laughs> out. Uh, and then Prob Gill leaves, we're told 10 minutes later. So the video is basically, it was probably shot on their iPhone and then like edited to look like a, like a shade, like a CCTV security camera. So it was like slow motion and grainy. They could have just used and that uh, filter on Instagram stories that puts like the little VHS time code at the bottom. I don't know why they didn't. So, so the, yeah, totally. They could have done something like that. So the, the, uh, and then, so we're, anyway, look at, we'll post a link to the video if you haven't already seen it, but essentially the, the UCP's Twitter account or the Unite Alberta Twitter account, which is Jason Kenny's office's office staff, Release this. They put it in the bio. I mean, that's yeah. how they describe. Yeah. So they put it on. They put this video itself. on YouTube, fifty-one seconds, uh, <laughs> that that alleges that Prob Gill is colluding with the NDP. Um, Which he was. Okay. Like, so well, the, well, we don't. There's the no other NDP, reason. For the that NDP meeting. said that Prob Gill was meeting with this staffer to talk about the floor in a school in his riding. You do not with meet. The you do not meet with <laughs> the issues manager to talk no. about that. So, of course not. Like and that Prob, is the most transparently absurd thing. And Prob hates. Prob's on the same kind of campaign Brian Jean is on. Mm. But again, we, being UCP, take the most infantile, ridiculous approach, and now the joke's on us. Like yeah. a situation that was only upside to say, well, clearly Prob is not this neutral, objective player. And I actually was talking about this with you guys offline. I, I really don't think the top tier of the UCP hierarchy is the one who did this, but they put in the bio, this is Jason Kenney's yeah. office campaign account. So if if some high-level person didn't approve it, when it gets posted, it became their their oh, problem, yeah. it, and it, they are accountable to it. And I would like to see some internal contrition. And some, real, some heads rolling, perhaps? No, but some realization that this is the kind of crap that just makes you look silly. Oh, like, yeah. It's, it looked, looked so childish. Like, And I mean, the the... The fact that we found out later that day or the next day that that the UCP's lawyer had sent a cease and desist letter to Prob Gill, and about, then about but an actually substantive thing. Cause yeah, talking about RCMP about and, about the the Jeff Calloway stuff. But and, you crossed the them together now. Yeah, and then like a couple of days later, these you know these couple you know the UCP staffers in short pants put out this mm-hmm. uh, this like attack video, basically to I mean discredit but also to intimidate prob gill and and send a message to it basically intimidate anyone who i mean really it sends a message to intimidate anyone who speaks out against the ucp it's like this that, culture you know we're, of, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna track you down and creepy take creepy video footage of you <laughs> and post it on the internet like yeah. god grow up guys someone you know? just sent me someone just opened a window for me because i wasn't really aware of this that both sides have this sort of culture also of filming each other at rallies i have no idea about this but the, like these accounts will film ucp activists with yellow vests or they'll film NDP activists with anti-pipeline people and then they'll go to the rallies and use like like normal Albertans. I'm not but, even remotely normal and I don't pay attention to that stuff. Like yeah, I don't but, know but, what they're hoping to achieve. But yeah, but this is different because this is in the video building. taken by political political staff who yeah. are paid by tax dollars 
Right. Well, inside, part, a gov- inside a yeah. government bill or a, you know, a legislature building. Which there should be some privilege. Members should be allowed to... Like, take if I was videos prop, of your, he kind of looks at them. He kind of does. Well, he, he gave him a, he gave he him a thumbs up. I would have walked over to them and been like, hey, guys, what's up? What well, are we I think, doing? I think they were sitting on the inside of the glass of the UCB yeah. caucus office. So they were like, weren't even in the in the lobby area. The speaker you, should, you can kind of see a reflection. The speaker should definitely make it clear that that kind of stuff inside the precinct is not... Um, conducive of a good environment for members and members are privileged they can talk to whoever they want like yeah. they're independent members of the legislature it's also these kind of tactics are a race to the bottom oh yeah like it's totally. just it's the worst kind of campaigning it's so hard to defend and then i have to come on here for example and i'm not even running for anything. well I'm, I'm sure we'll talk <laughs> about it when, when when the ndp eventually releases some creepy video of a, of a ucp mla or ucp candidate doing something i'm sure we'll talk about yeah. it from the other the other angle because because sure. i mean that's the thing about the i mean you know if you're gonna you know, as the NDP piled on, uh, piled on the UCP for this, you really have to. If you're going to pile on, you really have to make sure that your side doesn't right. doesn't have a video of the of, of something very similar that's going to be construed as something being very creepy as well. Can I just say one thing? Um, the best response I saw to this was Matt Dykstra, who mm-hmm. is a uh, he's the press secretary for the uh, or press secretary, yeah. I think, for the uh, Minister of Labor. Yeah, and and I he think. posted or a, health. He posted a video maybe a day later oh, yeah. being like, there's a truck outside that, that I think I might have been followed home. It was just like... Well, then like, the, the sunglass one, that the sunglasses fell down. Oh, yeah. Right. We'll, we'll post all these memes on, uh, on, on the website. I love a good meme. I'm yeah. here for the meme. I remember actually you or Ryan were the one who sent me Matt's post and you're like, this is actually really funny. Yeah. <laughs> so we are on this show at, at various moments in our existence post-partisan, but not usually. <laughs> oh, no. We mock them all. Yeah. Including yeah. Our um, there were a lot of um, announcements that came out from other parties that we talked about in the introduction. What do you guys think about uh, this Alberta Party mandatory vaccinations uh, policy that Stephen Mandel rolled out, given that back in when he was health minister, he said there's no way we're doing mandatory vaccinations. <laughs> I, I want to quote a politician to say that I appreciate the basic dictatorship side of this. That, um, part of Come me. for your government injections, everybody. <laughs> yeah, because it is appalling. The anti-vaccination movement is appalling. Yep. And we talked about last week how I think running for office is sacred and you should be allowed to run even if I have no intention of voting for you. This one is right on the line where I actually think we we mandate seatbelts. We mandate lots of stuff. But it's it's a little bit of a stretch to enforce it that way. And I don't think... I don't think it would be effective because the people out there who are uh, suspicious of vaccinations are also suspicious of the state mm-hmm. and imposing its will. Yep. But I get what he's going for. Yep. And if, you know, if, if kids are at risk because parents are uninformed or making selfish decisions, we saw the case down in Lethbridge where the child died and his parents are um, convicted. And, you know, it's appalling. But I don't know if that's the right approach. Yeah, me neither. Yeah, you- no, I, I mean, I think that, you know, I mean, vaccinate, vaccinations are good. Everybody should get them. Um, I guess the question would be, in terms of making them mandatory, how do you enforce that? In terms of of, I I'd, I'd be I'd be interested to hear more in terms of of if you you know if if you have someone who is you know vehemently opposed to getting a vaccinate or having their kids vaccinated, do they just not go to school or do you force right. vaccinate them? Like I don't know. I'd be interested to learn more because yeah. I, I mean as you well, know I, I have I have a kid and I don't want I want kids to get vaccinated. So yeah. but I'm interested in terms of like the the actual you'd mechanism create, of how do you how do you actually do that? You'd make it. You'd provide an incentive for them to withdraw from society even more. I think. Yeah, yeah it might have a it might have a really negative effect, mm-hmm. and and just marginalize people that actually, yeah. you know, need to be supported in a way. Like, there's a really great article out there um, 
I, I'll try and find the link so that Dave can put it with this post, but a woman who has a kid, she becomes a parent, and she suddenly gets very nervous about vaccinations. Mm-hmm. And she said that part of the problem is that medical professionals get really pissed when you say, I'm not really sure about this. Yeah. But her family yeah, doctor sat down and explained to her, you know, um, the risks and how they would mitigate those risks and why it was actually really be- beneficial and she felt better. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm actually developing a talk right now, this is not related to the pot at all, but about how we as individuals who organize in a society need to relearn what it means to be empathetic yeah. for other mm-hmm. people. Because that, that mother's anxiety was real. Right. And thank God her family doctor took the time yeah. to talk to her about vaccinations. And if you push too mm-hmm. hard, they just withdraw completely. Exactly. Well, there's a, I think I've mentioned it on the pod, and I'll send it to you. There's a really great New Yorker article about a researcher wrote about why knowledge and facts don't change minds. And, you know, the, the science, the facts have been out there on this debate for a decade, but you still see this disconnect. Mm-hmm. So I think Mandel's real um, goal here was to get some airtime and some attention, and it, it, it did. It did. So, yeah. yeah we're in the election campaign. And, but you're right. And he was Minister of Health. Like yeah, what, yeah, you had your chance, Stephen. Like 20, yeah. 2014, 2015, yeah. And I think I think David Swan, who's the, who's the liberal MLA, uh, I think he either, I think he made it put a private member's bill forward or something, basically calling for almost exactly this. Hmm. So, you know. Interesting. The last thing we mentioned in the intro for the pre-election season section was the Green Party's PST endorsement. With nothing to lose. <laughs> There's, <laughs> There's a direct inverse <laughs> relationship. Between being willing to campaign on a PSD and having a chance of winning the election, <laughs> which is why the NDP dropped it as soon as they had a chance to win the election. I don't know if the NDP were ever pro. Wasn't it in their old platform? No, the I, don't, one I, don't, before? I don't think the NDP were pro, pro PST. It I don't do, think they've ever been. I don't, I don't doesn't know if they've matter. ever been. Yeah. We, we don't have a revenue problem, guys. Brian oh, Jean said well, so in the BS, Edmonton BS. Journal. I've been, I've been told we, 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 we swear too much on this podcast. So oh, I would yeah. say BS instead of the other word. Okay, I'm with Brian uh, on that, but that's a sidebar. Yeah, we'll talk about that. If there's a party that was pro new taxes, it would have been the new Democrats. But as soon as they came close to power, <laughs> there's an invert, re, inverse relationship between that issue and Well, they, they did raise taxes. They just didn't introduce a... a uh, yeah, uh, sale, provincial sales right. tax. Yeah, so the Green Party came out with a with a announcement last week talking about how they were the they wanted a, to implement a uh, provincial sales tax. I think it's the first time, at least in recent memory, that uh, that a political party has been pro PST. Now I should say Alberta did have a provincial sales tax, 1936 to 1937. The Social Credit Party <laughs> under William Aberhart implemented a provincial sales tax, and then they repealed it the next year. That's right. Yeah, because it was a bummer. Oh, I don't know because it was thing, a downer because thing, things were crazy back then. They also re, they also implemented recall MLA recall and then <laughs> and then and then, and then repealed that. it until until after a, a, a successful recall campaign was launched against the premier. So didn't, then they repealed it. Didn't Bill Aberhart also try to make his own money? Oh yeah, yeah. This so, is yeah, this is crazy. And 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 uh, you know we'll, we'll have we'll have maybe after the election we'll have a uh, we a social credit uh, yeah. focused episode. But <laughs> you know I think we should also do anyway. Good for the Green Party. I'm I'm pro oh, PST. Yeah. Good for them. Um, you know I think. The more we talk about this, uh, and you know, if you can move the Overton window towards talking about <laughs> PST, maybe in twenty years we'll get it. Like you know, we need to. We do have a revenue problem in this province. Um, yeah, we spend too much. And well, <laughs> so I knew this was going to happen. <laughs> you know what we should do, though, gentlemen? I think we should have some policy episodes where we, and it's not like the three of us are experts on a whole lot, but maybe we can bring in some actual experts and talk about things like this. Mm-hmm. Like, let's talk about proportionate representation. Let's talk about sales tax because. These issues are actually super important, yeah. and they're evergreen. They're always interesting in Alberta. Well, so politicians do not want to touch them. No. Like, that's the thing, is that everybody, I mean, I think you've talked to a lot of Albertans, even if they don't want a provincial sales tax, everybody has an opinion on it. 
but oh, no yeah. politicians actually want to talk about it because it's so easy to to go against it yeah so that's why politicians often don't actually lead the parade often they're predicting where the parade is yeah. going and they um so maybe we can talk about that and maybe for mailbag submissions in the next two weeks guys our audience oh yeah ask us policy questions just those great debates like you know last week we actually talked about healthcare. yeah and we actually found like a worldview different and i won the debate and <laughs> oh. <laughs> just joking just joking uh yeah, well, send in those questions if they're policy may, yeah. related. We like, yeah, maybe them. there's other great debates. The Great yeah. Alberta debates, like oil. Why we, we've said on the show that 40, 50 years from now, petrochemical burning is not going to be what powers the world. So, so what are we going to do? Yeah, because politicians are never going to lead on this stuff. Yeah, no. This is actually why it's not really fair when politicians go on panels against non-politicians, because the risk level is different. Yeah. So, but if you have two um, strategists or you have two academics or two politicians, like when it's equal, it's better because politicians are risk averse. Like they, they're not going to put their own career up against this sort of eth- like abstract concept of a PSD. Mm-hmm. When they propose it, it's tangible, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, let us know. So it is pre-election season. We'll have more to talk about on this front, I think, uh, in the next pod. And as we move through what will be the worst election in Alberta's history. <laughs> so the last topic we wanted to cover on the pod today is exactly what is happening in Ottawa with this whole SNC-Lavalin scandal. Uh, will it actually have a material impact in Alberta, on Alberta in the next federal election? And if so, how? So, so what are you guys, what have you seen over the last few weeks with this scandal? So this is maybe, maybe playing to type, but I actually am surprised at what a jerk Randy Boasno has come across as. Like, I'm surprised that he would do that to himself and be so willing to be that guy. His image locally, we've talked about it before. Great guy, smart, reasonable, you know, um, pro-economy, like kind of an Albertan liberal. Like, yeah, I thought he, he was a... I th- my goodness, he did not do himself. You were talking about Randy Boston, the MP for Edmonton, Edmonton Center, Center, liberal MP. Yeah. yeah. Like if people watch not just that one day, but the second time too, like he just comes across as this angry, um, not very reasonable attack dog, at including at, Joe, at the former minister. And it's like, boy, oh boy, if I was Edmonton Center conservative campaign, I'd be showing that video to everybody. Yeah, it feels, it doesn't feel right coming from Randy. Uh, that's all I'll say. I, I voted for him. I like him. He's a good guy. It's not a good look for him. Yeah, no, no not a good look. Um, so he just kept his head down, hey? You haven't heard a word from Minister Soheed, which, of course, if I was advising him, was exactly what it was holding to do. He did sign just stay a, out of it. Yeah. yeah, he did sign a loyalty statement, but they all did. Yeah. As soon as uh, Dr. Philpott left cabinet, every other cabinet minister was clearly and actually i don't know if you saw but there's a few different statements that some of the mps were putting around where the boilerplate oh i saw that <laughs> yeah. it was just like copy copying oh, pasting your talking some points some poor staffer who gets paid yeah. not enough money but even the ministers basically did the same thing and yeah. um minister so he has it's called being on message it is it's professional politics but minister so he has kept his mouth shut and his head down yeah which is which is i think in the in terms of this uh in terms of this issue i think that's probably the best We'll look at the alternative with Mr. Boss now. Yeah, but yeah. I, I, do you guys think that in, in, in provinces and ridings and jurisdictions that aren't typically your liberal strongholds, and I would, I would suggest a lot of Alberta falls in, All of Alberta. into that category, <laughs> mm-hmm. do, you th- yeah. do you think that in the next federal election this just completely wipes the liberals out of Alberta? I, I, I don't think this particular issue. It was I, I think that the liberals are, are uh, 
I mean, I think the liberals, the federal liberals, are we're going to have a very hard time uh, getting their their three MPs now you know, from Alberta reelected in when the election yeah. is called in October anyway. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure if I'm not sure how much this changes. I don't think it hurt. I don't think it helps them, um, but I'm not sure like it. I, I don't know. I mean, we, I guess we'll see. We still have a few months until. I mean, the election's not 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 until October. Maybe this blows over and isn't isn't an issue in the fall. Uh, but it certainly doesn't look good on them right now. Also, Justin Trudeau's personal brand. I mean, <sighs> yeah, yeah. That that McLean's cover. So four years ago, Paul Wells writes the feature story called "The Making of a Prime Minister," and it's with this great photo of Trudeau close up. And then this week, Paul Wells wrote a story. Yeah. The headline was "Imposter." And they used the exact same photo. And Paul Wells himself was the one tweeting out the contrast. Like, it, I, this probably will blow over. This probably isn't going to be the thing that takes down mm-hmm. Justin Trudeau. But his personal brand will never recover to the same level. Mm-hmm. Like this was something that was so damaging because it was precisely against his strengths, mm-hmm. precisely against this feminist. And we talked about this last time. Feminist, pro-Indigenous, um, you know, touchy-feely guy. Even with this other MP coming out now saying Justin Trudeau yelled at her on the phone. Oh, yeah. Super aggressive. And, and her husband also came out and said. Isn't that deeply misogynist? Like, I'm well, pretty uncomfortable with the husband being why we believe the story. I agree with yeah. you 100%. What a it, weird yeah. turn that was. Yeah. It felt bizarre. And I don't know, like, so now I'm questioning all the strategy, if there's any going into the way this is and Maybe this is just a Twitter thing. But yeah, I Could thought, be. okay, so she's making the point that she got yelled at unreasonably by a really aggressive angry man and then she felt like no one believed her until her hu- like her husband confirmed it i don't know it was it's getting weird it's strange yeah yeah and it's it's i mean it seems it's, it seems like the liberals can't help themselves they're just making this this whole thing worse by the day you. sure I, I just learned and i still don't really get it what those shamrock things mean in people's twitter handles have you seen this no no what do you mean shamrock like a like, like a little like clover a, like an emoji? It's kind of like in a- the name. Okay. There's an icon. So look for it on Twitter. My brutal sort of overgeneralization understanding of it is that Warren Kinsella, who has clearly gone against Trudeau <laughs> now, uh, attacked someone who works for the liberals. And the liberal partisans are putting that in to say that they're with their team against Warren Kinsella, but has basically become shorthand for like the most unreasonable partisan liberals. So if you see it, I think Jen Gerson said whenever she sees it, she just oh, immediately weird. mutes people. I think I've muted Warren Kinsella like a long time ago. Yeah. So I'm, I don't, <laughs> I, 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 I'm really, going to miss this. He's not very objective. But <laughs> Twitter, you know, we all say it every week and yet we still check it. But it's just this, it's its own world. But Trudeau, I mean, if you watched the news that last week, it was bad. It was damning. Yeah. And personal so, and about him. Even watching how good Jerry Butts did. Like, tactically, Jerry Buss did exactly what they needed yeah. him to do. And then the next day, Trudeau, in this, what did I say to you guys on text? Like, this vacuous, empty shell, combined with sanctimonious, like, attitude, does this press conference where he doesn't say sorry, and he just says, well, I don't even know what he said. Yeah. Like, what a terrible political strategy. Yeah. They should have left it where Butts left it. And you can see that and Butts... They, they, the whole story would have, like... He did the right shriveled and died. Because Butts' objective was just muddy up the water. Yeah, just show that this is politics and there's it's not ugly. He was so good. He just like he controlled that committee. Like those MPs were trying to like trying to lead him down paths, and he just he 
that guy is super smart. So, so it he shows, controlled the whole met the whole. Yeah. He controlled. He controlled the, the whole narrative of that committee. It was masterful. Yeah. So it's pretty easy to make the case that he really was the brains of a lot of the Trudeau machine. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see their judgment moving forward without it. But within 12 hours, we saw a taste of it. Mm-hmm. Trudeau doing that press conference with almost no point. Yeah, that yeah. was not a good look either. Yeah. For what, me, the barometer is often my parents and what they're thinking about politically. They're both in their 70s. They're, I don't, I guess, progressive, but have voted across the spectrum in their lives, and they are not happy with Trudeau. They will not vote for him. Mm. They don't know who they'll vote for. They're not big fans of Andrew Scheer either. But they're, the, I think there's going to be, Voter turnout, I think, in the federal election will be interesting. And Jagmeet yeah. Singh is not doing well. Nope. So there could be a pretty big undecided. They actually, my mom actually said to me, I wish Jack Layton was still around. Yeah. Yeah. Because then it would be I think imagine a lot was. of people do. Yeah. Imagine if he was this oh, last man. two weeks. The liberal left would have been a real existential or, or, problem. Or imagine if, you know, Tom Mulcair were still, were still leader of the NDP at this point. The Trudeau would have to worry about, yeah. because some of this stuff is never going to pull votes towards the right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, like, it would be, if there was a real threat on his left, it would be a different scenario right yeah. now. Well, I think, I think that's true to a saving grace going into, going, at least now, going, looking, looking into the, the pre-election season, is that the NDP are so weak. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, you know, conservative, if you're Andrew Scheer and the Conservative Party, you want a stronger NDP so they can take votes away from the Liberals. Um, without sure. without that, it's it's like Look at ex- it's, like, it's like extra difficult for uh, for the conservatives to win yeah. a, win a majority. Look at twenty eleven, mm-hmm. uh, uh, yeah. uh, uh, historic NDP achievement, and also a conservative majority. Those two things are not random events. Yeah, yeah. we did get a question from Mountain Ted about uh, the Lavalin scandal, and he's asking if we think it'll have any impact on provincial election results. What do you guys think? No, hmm. I don't think so because there just isn't a lot of liberal uh, juice here. Like either uh, campaign teams or really? Yeah, I think it's the the liberals have been federal liberals have. I think they've nominated two candidates in Alberta. And I think there are thirty six ridings in Alberta, hmm. and they've nominated Randy Boissonneau and Kent Hare, um, <laughs> which and, is mind boggling. That and, is Kent Hare. Yeah, and and there's no. Uh, I think there's like like a nomination race in Strathcona, and then a no, in Edmonton, Edmonton Strathcona for the Liberals, and then a nomination race in Calgary Confederation. But aside from that, it's basically just like silent across the board. And I think it's interesting. Because when you look at the federal liberal volunteers and where they are provincially, you have, and this is this might be intentional for the federal liberals to wait until after the provincial election, because like I see federal liberals volunteering for the Alberta NDP, I see federal liberals volunteering for the Alberta Party, and I see federal liberals, although less and less almost every 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 month, actually volunteering for the actual provincial liberal party. So the federal liberal volunteers are split between these three parties, and they're. I mean, maybe there are federal liberals volunteering for the United Conservative Party. Like, you know, so so they're really split. There's no, like, united place for the, for federal liberal volunteers in Alberta. There's no real one home for them on the provincial level. Yeah. So is, true. is there a federal rhino party that I can lead? Yes. Uh, yeah, there is. I don't know if its leadership is open, but maybe they'll take an application. All right, well. I'm well, sure the three of us could figure it out. I was on a panel with the... The what, someone from the Rhino Party and he wore Bermuda shorts. So I want to wear. Pull, pull out shorts. your Bermuda shorts. Adam. Oh, I'm all over that. <laughs> Finally, a party that gets me. All right, uh, it's that time again where we open up the mailbag. We have answered a few questions throughout the show. So uh, the first question we got comes from a, f- a big friend of the pod, a close friend of Ryan's, uh, Shane Smith. He's a mate. He's a mate. He's down in Australia, but he's super. He listens to the pod. Good day. So great. Um, he wrote us a lengthy preamble, but uh, the gist of it is that often incumbency 
according to some research that he's done down there, can actually defy swings to another party. Mm-hmm. So he his question, I guess, was to what degree is incumbency an advantage or will be an advantage for like, you know, the new Democratic Party in Alberta this election cycle? What do you guys think, starting with you, Ryan? Yeah, I wish Shane could actually tell us what, you know, he thinks because he's put a lot of thought into this. I think it has a sticky effect. Like, I think once you have proof of a person in the office, it's hard to say you can't imagine them in the office. So it helps incumbents a little bit. Um, I think too, like you look at municipal politics where there's no party brand, it has a huge effect. But I do think though, provincial and federal politics are leaders driven. Mm-hmm. And most people are thinking more about Kenny and Notley or Trudeau and Sheer. They're not mm-hmm. necessarily focused. Although like we said on the pod, they'll tell you that they are just like they'll tell you negative ads don't change their minds. But I think the research would show that incumbency does help a little bit, but it's still not more, it's still a small piece compared to the leadership. Yeah. What do you think, Dave? Well, I've I've done a bit like, first of all, thanks so much for the question, Shane, and thanks for listening to the pod. Um, I've done a bit of research around this in terms of Canadian politics, and I haven't been able to find anything that's like specifically Alberta politics in terms of research on incumbency and the incumbency advantage. But from what I've read, there's kind of a a bit of a a broad discrepancy uh, with Canadian politics saying that there's from what I've read, there's somewhere between five and 10%. You can get somewhere between five and 10% of a vote of the vote for incumbency. Mm-hmm. That's it's usually worth something like that, that kind of stickiness. Yeah. yeah. The, but the, the one thing that, that, that kind of consistently comes up is that incumbency advantages uh, outweigh most, uh, most disadvantages except for one, which is the, the, the narrative and the desire of voters for a change. Hmm. So we saw in the last provincial election yeah. here in Alberta, there was a huge desire for change among mm-hmm. the electorate, electorate. And you had longtime progressive conservative MLAs who've, who'd always won basically because they were the incumbent progressive conservative MLA, just getting, getting totally demolished in the election. Well, and even, so, even in Edmonton Center, you had... Yeah, uh, Lori Blakeman, yeah. liberal, longtime liberal MLA. Get yeah. knocked out by Dave Shepard. So. Yeah, when yeah, they totally. disagree on virtually nothing. Like, exactly. She yeah. was more to the left, never mind than the Alberta liberals, than probably the NDP. <laughs> Currently, that, as they sit today, so, so, that change so, wave just swept through, right? Yeah, it was exactly. It was just a giant orange wave. Um, so, yeah, I mean, incumbency. I think incumbency is worth is worth definitely worth something. And and I mean, MLAs. You know, if you're if you've, I think if you've done a good job as an MLA for four years, you've been out in the community. You you know the your you know your local leaders. You know the people. You've been seen. Um, people should know who you are. Um, but you know, desire for change can really negate that uh, that kind of incumbency advantage. That would that would be my I mean argument, and I think that that there'll be some NDP MLAs who who are facing that in this com- coming election because yeah. they're it. I mean, as the issues are different than 2015. I mean, in 20 we talked about this before in 2015. I mean, big issues were you know education, healthcare. Um, you know, the economic recession was just starting. The price of oil had just started to drop. Um, so there was a desire, there was like a feeling that we'd missed our opportunity and there was a, des- you know, in terms of, 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 of taking advantage of that, e- of, of the strong economy and the strong price of oil. And there was a de- desire for change four years later, you know, we, the issues are the economy, but in a different way, it's pipelines and jobs. And we've had four years of, you know, four years of, of job levels dropping. Um, but that change element is still there, well, right? We, so, so, so the the incumbency factor might not, might you know, I'm not going to yeah. say it's not going to play a factor because it will, but I don't think it'll. If the economy were doing really well and things were humming along, and the unemployment level was lower, I think that uh, that incumbency would make a bigger difference in this upcoming election. Yeah, or another way to say that change is that we vote governments out, right? Yeah, which is something something new that we've discovered in Alberta, and hopefully, you know, 
we'll hopefully do, something that we continue. We'll do it one more time and then never again. Oh, what, is, no. what is it? What is it in New, in New Brunswick? They've had like four one-term governments over the past like ten years or something. And we that's should, a uh, province that elected a one hundred percent liberal assembly. Yeah, at one that's point. right. Nineteen eighty-seven, I think it was Frank McKenna. The Liberals won every single seat in the legislature, Dave, which which, you... which Peter Lougheed almost did. The Progressive Conservatives. The now this is hubris, like and like total arrogance is. In 1979, there were 70. The 1979 election in Alberta, there were 79 seats in the legislature, and the unofficial, unofficial Progressive Conservative Party slogan was 79 and 79, wow. which is like that's pretty wow. You know, <laughs> can you imagine today? You know, one day I'm going to tag in Michael Cooper, and he's going to have a trivia contest with you, and we're going to see who okay. yeah, is you're, the real savant. Of. Your political knowledge is off the wall. I just, I can, I'm always surprised. Have you and Michael ever gone up against each other with this? I, stuff? I was in a class, a political science class, with Michael Cooper yeah. many, many years ago. Uh, 400 level political science class, politics of the Canadian Constitution, and I think Ian Urquhart uh, was our professor. That and sounds uh, awesome. Anyway, I don't. We anyway, my my. Michael Cooper and I didn't really agree on much, and we had a lot of discussions about Delwyn Vreed and and that kind of stuff. And and listeners can imagine, uh, mm-hmm. you know, how that discussion went. But on the trivia, yeah, on the trivia, oh, that'd I, be fun. If yeah, there's sure. another person out there who could tell you who the 1979 New Brunswick PC leader was, without looking, <laughs> I, it uh, up. well, well, it would have been would have been Frank Hatfield. Oh, jeez. I'm okay. just here for anyway. The this isn't even fun for sport anymore. Okay. All right. Anyway. Our ne- our next question comes from Mike Waterhouse. Uh, Mike asks, what are the advantages or disadvantages for the constituents of a riding to have an MLA that's an independent? So what do you think, Dave? Well, my, my, my first piece of trivia, my next piece of trivia for you guys, and actually I think I said Frank Hatfield is Richard Hatfield. Sorry. Oh, wow. Uh, so what, so what, not, not to be confused with Chris Hatfield. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the best Hatfield of all. Yes. Um, so my piece of trivia for you guys is what, when was the last time an independent candidate was elected to Alberta's legislature. As elected. An, as an independent? As or they an independent. Sat in their own elected as an independent. Not Greg Clark, is what you're saying. Yeah. I, I don't know. I have no idea. I don't know because they're completely inconsequential. 1967. It was Tom Coppathorne who was the MLA for oh. Banff Cochrane. Yeah. Yeah. And he served one term as an independent. So he's elected as an independent in 67. And then he later joined the Progressive Conservatives and was reelected as a PC in Peter Lougheed's the big PC wave in 1971. And then I think he served as a cabinet minister. And then he, I don't think he ran for re-election in 75, the next election. The so, reason I don't know that, Mike Waterhouse, is because independents, our system is not designed for them to have any impact at all. They don't sit on committees that can't pass legislation. Yeah. They don't get questions. They basically have no tools in their toolkit. So... While I get it, I get the desire for independence and that partisanship can be a bit of a bad trip. The system is just not built for Well, them. and the system is designed by polit- by people in political parties who want to see political parties have and it have a systematic advantage. So that's, you know, it doesn't have to be this way, but it is the way it is because of who writes the rules. So, yeah. and there's no incentive for a political party to want to have, to, to want to have independence, yeah. independent MLAs or independent legislators. Um have a have a strong voice which brings us to the second part of mike waterhouse's question for you guys which is would you vote for an independent candidate ryan what do you think no yeah well i mean you're a card-carrying member of the ucp <laughs> I'm, I, 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 I'm a partisan I, I think it depends who it is um i mean if you're running as an independent you're literally running on your own record and your own personality so it would depend okay fair enough uh our next question 
uh, from Kristen Rayworth. Touch on the other announcements the UCP made on domestic and sexual violence and how that sets a bar, especially the sexual violence one, for other parties. Do you guys feel like you have enough knowledge to comment on this? Because my suggestion is going to be we should get Kristen on here again to talk about this because I don't want to. I don't know anything about this issue. I need and I need to know more and I need to hear it from someone like Kristen who is deeply knowledgeable and cares. Not that I don't care about this issue, but, you know, she's on a level we're not. Yeah. And she's been calling on all the parties to come up with this type of policy, also internal party management policies, Mm -hmm. things like that. So. Mm -hmm. Um, Chris and I appreciate the question and yeah, I agree. Like I, I think it was good. Um, I'm hesitant to comment on what the NDP are going to do on this file, but some of the things that Kristen highlighted about the announcement is very positive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I agree. Um, we're, we're overdue to have some, some brilliant women on this pod, I think. So we'll do that in the near future, perhaps after the writ is dropped. Uh, thanks for the question, Kristen. Our next one comes from, uh, Alan Chicoin. It's Alain. It's a French name. Alain Chicoin. Chicoin. Doesn't it look French to you? It does, yeah. It looks French. Uh, Alan, I'm terribly sorry about making a mess of your name, but Alan's question is, are there any ridings that have female candidates from both the NDP and the UCP? I think the only one qualified to answer this yeah, is Dave. Dave. Yes, I did a count. <laughs> uh, there, I think, thanks so much for the question. There, from, from what I've been able to find, there are 13 ridings, and I'm going to name them off quickly. Where The ridings where uh, women are running for both the NDP and the UCP and are nominated. Airdrie East, Brooks Medicine Hat, Calgary Beddington, Calgary Glenmore, Calgary Mountain View, Chestermere Strathmore, Edmonton Glenora, Edmonton Riverview, Edmonton Strathcona, Edmonton White Mud, Fort Saskatchewan Vegreville, Lethbridge West, and uh, Red Deer North. Can we make a tracking sheet of those 13? Sure. I think it'd be really interesting to keep our eye on those 13 writings. Mm. I can tell you. And there, was... m- there might be a couple others because the, 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 both the NDP and the UCP have like five or six more writings yeah. nominated in. So there, there, I yeah. think there could be a couple more, but these are the 13 as of today. Let's set a marker. Sure. Now, some of those are not going to be close. Edmonton Strathcona is probably a Br- Brooks Medicine Hat. Right. Yeah. But a bunch of those sound yeah. like they're up for grabs. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's interesting. All right. Thanks for that one, Elaine. So our next question comes from Ben Yendel, and he's asking about uh, the red tape cuts. Uh, he wants to know about the efficacy of one regulation in, one regulation out. That's a UCP policy, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Ryan. I don't think it's an explicit promise, but it's a general... You hear it in conservative circles a lot, and it's kind of become a bit of a um, legendary approach to reducing government regulations and red tape that if any new regulations brought in, an old one should be taken out. I think it's arbitrary, so I'm actually for reducing red tape. I'm for efficiency and looking for ways where regulations can be trimmed back generally, mm-hmm. but I'm also not completely anti-regulation. And I think reducing it to one-to-one is kind of making a mockery of it. It's yeah. arbitrary. Yeah. 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 So he also I, asks, uh, just a sec, Dave, why regulations exist and what the differences are between regulations and laws. So let's maybe unpack this huge package that Ben has given us. Sure. So, I mean, first, I mean, red tape is kind of a, as a, as a term, it's kind of a, it's a term you, you hear used by a lot of, I mean, it's used by conservatives to talk about government regulation or mm-hmm. gov- government in, in government regulation or rules. Bureaucracy. Yeah. Bureaucracy. It's kind of a catch all term. Um, it that, probably that provides, provides some Im- imagery. Yeah. There's probably some, we'll find it. Yeah. Yeah. Like the whole nine yards has a historic reason. So I'm sure red tape does too. Yeah. Okay. We'll find that and, uh, and see if we can get it for the, figure that out for the next podcast. Um, I mean, so the difference between regulations and law is that in, when you're talking in terms of, of, of government is that, so a law is a, le- a piece of legislation that is passed through, provincially passed through the legislature. So it's an, it's, it's, it's like bill one, 
and it's an act it's it's an act of the legislature it's passed and then it's uh, signed by the, it's signed by the, endorsed by the, the lieutenant governor on behalf of the, of the queen, and then enacted into law, proclaimed into law, and that's a law. Regulations are basically something that that a com- I mean, can accompany a law, but doesn't have does doesn't have to go through the legislature. Regulations can be decided by cabinet. So when you hear orders in council, you hear lieutenant governor in council. Um, that's that's essentially what um, what a regulation is. So cabinet can make decisions. The difference be, be the main difference being that laws need to be amend need, laws need to be introduced and amended through public debate in the legislature and through a public process in the legislature. Regulations can be changed uh, and created behind closed door in a by, by cabinet. They they put some things in regs because they want to be able to change them. Mm-hmm. So like there'll be a law saying building codes must be followed. Mm. Yeah, but then the building codes themselves will be defined somewhere else. Because it may go from twelve inch wide to ten inch wide, then right. you don't want to have to hold a whole session of the legislature just yeah. to decide that. So, yeah. so that this is so re- the regulations and laws and the sort of interplay between the two of them actually is about efficiency in a way. Because you, it's harder to change a law than efficiency it is to change in the process of changing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, I mean, you know, they talk about cutting regulations. That's not necessarily a bad thing. It depends what the regulation right. is, right? Yeah. So, so I mean, I agree with Ryan in terms of the saying the you know, the one for one, that's pretty arbitrary, um, you know, decide what the regulation does, why was why it was put in place, and then decide whether it's still relevant or not. Now, a regular cut, cut, review... Cut, yeah, cutting for cutting's sake isn't good governance. It's... Yeah. A regular review of regulations is good. Yeah, and most, most uh, well, a lot of pieces, of, a lot of regulations, they have... Like a sunset clause. They have a sunset clause, yeah. so things have to be reviewed yeah. in order for them to be renewed. So right. a lot of regulations already does that. What concerned me about the... And what I thought was interesting... Um, and I, I mean, concerned me because I actually want to see what it, what it actually means is that during his press conference, when Jason Kenney talked about cut it, the cutting red tape review and the potential creation of a department to cut red tape, which already had already existed at one point. It was the Department of Restructuring and Government Efficiency. That sounds awesome. Rage is what they called yeah, it. Yeah, that sounds pretty <laughs> and, good. And, but so, so Klein created this. Was, this was like in the kind of like meandering years of, of Klein's last term in government where like he wasn't really doing anything. He was just like, hey, I'm premier and everybody loves me. And then they kind of just they didn't really accomplish much. Um, they had this department and no one really knew what it did because it actually like, I think it, I think it took over license plates or something, which was something that another department already did. So it didn't actually accomplish anything. And then they ended up just dissolving it because it was just a big waste of time. Um, but the thing that, the going back to the, the, the Kenny conference, the thing that concerned me was, and I want to see, I want to see what he, what he actually meant by it is they talked about, cause he was asked about specifically about, well, are, where are regulations that you want to, that you'd like to see cut? And he, he alluded to municipal regulations, which I think is a big red flag for, for, for municipalities across the province, because I mean, does this mean that the provincial government under the UCP would want to interfere in municipal governance even more like i don't know what that means so so my i i hear your point it, he probably should have had some examples a good friend of mine amber ruddy used to be with the canadian federation of independent business yeah and they put out i mean i'm sure that even the name um brings a certain level of it's a right-wing group lens but they still put out some pretty detailed recommendations that um their members tell them I'm sure other panels could be formed as well. Like, I think a regular review of these types of things is a good idea. And I think if you made it nonpartisan or you made it based on, you know, different types of stakeholders, it's a good thing to do. So, yeah, again, um, when they're rolling these things out, they should always have some tangible examples. But the thing is, for for our side, the whole red tape issue, 
is not really about the details. It's like a worldview that it, the government government is bad. Government is inefficient and government needs to be trimmed something, down. something, Ronald Reagan, something, something, Margaret <laughs> Thatcher, mumble, mumble. But it goes both <laughs> ways. Trickle down. Like it goes both ways that I would say that the NDP or socialist side um, think the government's the answer to every problem. So one side thinks government's the answer to nothing, and the other thinks what, government's the answer to everything. What, what, one side sees a positive role for government in society, and the other one thinks it's a problem. That, for some reason, that makes me think of that that West Wing quote where someone was, I, th- I can't remember who they're talking to, but someone says, Democrats want uh, a small army, and they want to send it everywhere. Republicans <laughs> want a humongous <laughs> army, and they don't want to send yes, it anywhere. Yes, that was a great quote. Yeah. And, it's, and we've talked about this before, but polarization, this is why it's really hard to be like a moderate. Because the, saying, well, you know, some regulations are good and some are bad and we should look at them all is not a great yeah. attack line. It's not, it's not a great poster. You want Jason Kenney wants to privatize oxygen. Or on the <laughs> other side, you want <laughs> Rachel Notley w- wants the state to own your house. And yeah. like either way, most voters are somewhere in between. So this is why we have politics. Like, I, I can see, you know, I can see his points about privatizing oxygen, but... I kind of want Rachel Notley to buy my house. So, I don't know. I'm kind of maybe I'll vote for the Alberta party. Oh, no, Dave, she wouldn't buy your house. She would just seize your house. And you're not an accessible voter. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> sorry, I was picking on the Alberta party again. I'm they, sorry, guys. They're an earworm. They yeah. are. They are. Our last question comes from Cameron Stobe, and he asks, "Is it common?" I love this question. Is it common for narcissistic people to be in politics? I think the only person qualified to answer this is you, Ryan. Most, you, you've run for politics a couple the times. The most narcissist among <laughs> us. Um, that's a harsh word and a specifically medical word. But I think there is something to your point. You have to have a bit of a chip yeah. on your shoulder, you, don't you? You have to be a little different. I mean, back to West Wing. Toby saying, you know, he doesn't want the guy that wants to be dragged there. He wants the guy who thinks he is the answer to the problem. And politics this is why i have such an affinity for the politicians even the other side is like like anything i'm sure this is how every other profession feels too but it's a pretty tough thing to do it's pretty emotional it's pretty all-consuming and so you really do have to be a bit of a different cat and when you talk to successful people in the private sector or in other things they look at politics as like why on earth would you want to do that all of a sudden people care if you sit in the front seat of the airplane Um, All of a sudden, every statement you make is for public consumption. Like, there's a huge cost to it. And so I really do think narcissist is a bit harsh. (laughs) But people who um, think they have something to contribute are the ones who are drawn to it. Because it's so hard to get there that if you're only half into it, you're not going to succeed. I believe I might be the answer. You have to believe. Why on earth else would you do it? Yeah. If you don't think you have something to contribute. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't necessarily think that means you're a narcissist in the negative way. I think there are a lot of well-meaning people who get involved for good reasons, um, and you know, narcissist might be a, might be a little harsh. But I mean, yeah, you definitely have to think that you're you're doing it for the right reasons and that you're the right person to do it, and and uh, also be a little bit of a glutton for punishment. Yeah, the the last Cause part because it is a lot of work. Oh, like it's hard work. No question. No question at all. The last part of, of Cameron's question, though, is is kind of a chicken and egg thing. So does political leadership attract narcissists or do you become a narcissist after you've been you've you've had a taste of political power? So uh, a couple years ago, a report came out from a group called the Samara Center for Democracy. And I remember reading it at the time and they did a really broad exit interview with a bunch of former parliamentarians. And, you know, the dark side of believing you have something to contribute and believing that the system needs you is that for many people who get into 
the way our politics works is that most of them are not calling the shots. Mm -hmm. Even think of the Trudeau government. There was like four people in PMO calling the shots. All these ministers, all these MPs, unfortunately, tend to just be there, but not making the types of contributions they thought they would make. And so some of these people um, come out of it very dejected and demoralized. And so I think you have to be a narcissist. (laughs) That's the wrong word. I think you have to be a little bit different to be drawn to it. And then I think to be successful at it, you have to really, really be more um, of the belief that you in particular are the answer. So I think Cameron's answer is both. Does political leadership attract them or do people become that way after they've tasted power? I think it's both. I think it's a bit of a cycle Mm -hmm. because you, to stay there, you also have to believe and you're showing, you're demonstrating that your approach is right and that you're smarter than the other guys. And most of the opponents of a, of a first minister are internal, right? Like Mm -hmm. most of the people who are competing, trying to throw up the roadblocks, maybe not most, but a big chunk is the internal stuff that no one ever sees. And so you're telling your party, telling the cabinet, you're telling the machinery of government, me and my advisors are right. And you, you guys need to get on board. The, the other element of it is that if you are a cabinet minister or you're someone seen, you know, senior elected official in government, you know, you're constantly surrounded by people who, um, you know, who dote on you, dote, basically dote on every word, who, you know, believe, you know, you have, you're in a position of, you're in a position of influence, a position of power, you have staffers, you know, if you're in Ottawa, you probably have a driver, uh, you know, you're not exactly, you, you, you may, may not be coming from where you were when you, before you were elected uh, into, into office. So, I mean, I think that does, that has the potential to warp your view as well. Um, and I, I think you see that with a lot of politicians who are in those positions and then leave politics, whether it's by retirement or being by being defeated in an election, a lot of times they have a hard time readjusting to the real world because they don't have that whole sphere surrounding them, that whole infrastructure surrounding them. So it does. I mean, I can see how it could potentially lead to, to being a little bit narcissistic because you believe your, you know, you believe your word is, is God. I mean, in some ways, yeah, politic politically, um, it leads to all sorts of bad behavior when you're there too. Yeah, right? yeah. You lose touch with the with the riding or the home base. Yeah, it's a totally different world. Um, I mean, I think that the, the thing that, I mean, it leads, I think it, it leads to, to narcissism potentially, but it also, I think it also, I mean, we talked about disenchantment with the political system. I think that a lot of people don't realize if you were elected as an MLA or as an MP and you don't end up into, cab, into cabinet or you don't end up being like a scene, a, a front bench opposition critic, uh, you're, you're actually quite, powerless mm-hmm. i mean it I, I see you know it's i think that the the example of the the federal liberals from 2015 had a very impressive slate of candidates a lot of people who are outside of politics and i think that might be one of the problems that the federal liberals are facing now is that they got all these impressive people like jody wilson rayburn like jane, jane philpott who were you know uh um you know titans in their in in their sectors in in from where where they came from yeah. but weren't liberal party hacks they weren't political uh and maybe not them i mean maybe obviously i think they obviously felt disenchanted but i think i think about the 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 liberal mps who were elected who came from impressive backgrounds who are now backbenchers yeah like being a backbench government mla or it's government mp yeah like like i can't more like i mean yeah. when, when i see impressive like really impressive people running for office i'm like and i want to see really impressive people and people you know with 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 lots of experience and different backgrounds and yeah. and capable people running but I, th- I mean i can't help but think to myself like 
if you don't end up in cabinet, mm-hmm. you're going to hate this job. Like well, you, you, you are, you know, you're, 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 <laughs> you're, you're not going to find this to be a very fulfilling job. You're going to yeah. be answering people's questions about potholes or something. And then yeah. being told to go to committees that you don't really care about. Like and, it's, and here's what we're saying. Yeah. Well, there's been a lot of research and writing about this compared to the UK system and the American system where, um, we're much closer to the UK system, but in both of those examples, like cabinets out of the picture like in the uk system for mps there's so many mps yeah most of them assume they're never going to be and so they find other things to do other meaning and then the american system like if you're a representative you have real power yeah and the party whip is much less strong and so the representatives committees and things like that actually make a difference here you're right government mp government member is one of the least fun because you can't even really open like take a run at the other side yeah. at least the liberal sorry at least the opposition caucus is somewhat free to just do their thing and to, mm-hmm. to but government MPs is a well. It goes to show how much control the executive branch of government has over the legislative branch. Yeah. There's basically no, almost no room for because he can he sits in both. Yeah. and it's funny too because it's self to some degree it's self policed. The most of the MPs don't have to be told to keep their mouth shut because mm-hmm. they know if you want to be in cabinet, vote with cabinet, speak with cabinet. Right? It's a bit of a self fulfilling cycle. So. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I don't know what you could do to change that quickly. I think it's part of the the structural institutional issues with our system where, you know, but I also really like our system where the the executive serves at the pleasure of the house. Like, yeah, but it doesn't really though. <laughs> it doesn't really, but yet it does. Like if they ever stood up and and we, this is the only way you can get rid of leaders early. Um, look at Alison Redford. Look at Ed Stelmack. Look yeah, at Ed Stelmack. There was no reason strictly speaking, that they had to go, except the caucus finally had rough, had enough. Ralph Klein. Yeah, even Ralph. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The caucus had had enough. So it's a, it's a messy system we have, but <laughs> I, I do overall like it more than the others. That, I think Churchill said something like that. Well, you're all. talking about democracy. Is yeah. what he's talking about. Not, not the <laughs> Westminster system. No, I don't think you're specifically talking about the, you know, the single member, member, member plurality parliamentary democracy <laughs> <Yeah>. system. <laughs> but he had a point. He had a point. Well, we, we, sh- we, should, do a, uh, we, sh- we should do an episode on uh, looking at electoral reform and parliamentary reform because I think yeah. that'd be really interesting and I have some ideas. Man, we've got a lot of ideas for future okay. shows. Let's call that one a day. Thanks for your questions, everybody. Thanks, guys. Well, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks again to our producer, Adam Rosenhart, for helping us to put the show together. And a huge thanks to the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB, for supporting the show. Send us your feedback or ask us any questions you have for our next episode. You can get us on Twitter at at DaveBerta or on the DaveBerta Facebook page, or you can email us at podcast at DaveBerta.ca. Thanks for listening. <laughs>